Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and Dr. Andy Scudding is with me today, and we're going to talk about the psychology of fear. Oh, it's a pretty primal response. It's it's biochemical <laughs> and emotional. Are you a person that likes a good scary movie or do you avoid that? Do you not like being frightened? Some people love it. Some people are adrenaline junkies and they think that uh, if you're living in a fear-based situation, you're having a good time. And for other people, they go, uh-uh, not interested at all because uh, fear sometimes uh, in, involves physical and emotional symptoms. Uh, if you can get um, chills and dry mouth and rapid heartbeat and shortness of breath, and maybe you're the kind of person that likes that. And by watching a movie, you get that response, and somehow that is satisfying. And that's not for me, but we're going to talk about psychology of fear. And if you have questions or comments, let me know what it is. Andy would be more than happy to try to answer your questions. 877-933-2484. Andy is a professor of psychology at North Central University here in the Twin Cities. Andy, Andy, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. So I'm not a guy that likes going to scary movies. I'm just not for it. Really? No. First of all, scary movies don't scare me. Because what scares me are like, Commercials for toenail fungus. That scares me. <laughs> that, uh, wow. That but I mean. Wasn't the, expecting that one. Yeah, I figured not. But the, the you know, the creaking door and, yeah. you know, you go, Ooh, who's coming through that? I don't like those movies. Really? I, no. Because I start to imagine them in my own mind, in my own house. Oh, and I yeah. go, why would I do that to myself? That's that's fascinating. I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, why? I don't know a ton of people who, like, love horror movies, but... Oh come on! It's a huge, huge. Oh yeah! Business. Oh yeah! Yeah, there's. It's amazing how many horror movies have made massive bank. Yeah, at the I know. Box and they're like ten thousand to make, and they make like ten yeah. million dollars. And very few of them are ever considered to be really high quality yeah. cinema. Yeah, I, I can't think of a single movie off the top of my head where it's like, wow, that was a, an excellent horror movie. Yeah. So why do people? Why are people attracted to things like that? Because it makes them feel good. Yeah, it is. I understand. It really, it really is. It's a, it's an emotional response. Yeah, that sends your body into not not shock, but it's a jolt to your system. So yeah. the sympathetic nervous system lights up when you're okay. You know, like for a jump scare, for example. So you you What's see the creaky scare? door, and all of a sudden, oh, bats shoot out of it, yeah, or right. the you know the serial killer character yeah. jumps out with a weapon. I guess yeah. we can't be too graphic on the radio here. No, no, I don't want to Something be. scary happens, right? Yeah. And and the whole point is for everybody in the theater or at home to jump. Ah, right. Right? You, right. You shriek or you yell or you, you know, attack the screen mm-hmm. if you're that type of person. And your body is filled with adrenaline and it's filled with, a, with dopamine and it's a physiological response. And some people are wired to find that gratifying. Okay. They enjoy that feeling. Well, if... The chemical reaction in your brain is similar to the dopamine response you have from positive emotions like happiness and excitement. Mm-hmm. 
well, why wouldn't you want to do that once in a while? Yeah. Have that kind of that thrill ride of fear where you know at the end of the day, it's just manipulative. Of course. But how should we as Christians think about that stuff? Why would we want to put those thoughts and images in our head? Well, there's a lot Ever. of ways you, you maybe don't. No, I don't. But the other thing you could do is go on a roller coaster or go stand at the edge of a cliff at the Grand Canyon when it's windy. <laughs> and, you know, seriously, I'm I mean, that's, that's terrifying for yeah. people, right? I mean, who, who talks that way? <laughs> Psychologists. Um, you you could find other, you know, kind of more natural things that, that cause fear yeah. in your body or in your mind um, that produce the same result as a jump scare in a, in a, in a scary movie. Okay. Um, but even a scary movie doesn't have to be gory or gross or anything. There's nothing wrong with bats, and they do fly around in the dark. And if they jump out of a window or a door at you, it's maybe your fault for being in the bats' neighborhood, right? Yeah, so right. there's things like that that happen to us that aren't necessarily gruesome or, you know, we're close to Halloween. So well, actually, it's Reformation Day, but um, most people consider Halloween, you know, a major holiday, and they love the idea of being scary and scaring kids right, and, you know, right. not terrifying them. But people are are drawn to that. And yeah, you could find that kind of stimulation in a lot of other ways that are probably healthier for you. Way healthier. Dr. Andy Scudding yeah. is my guest. We're talking about the psychology of fear because a lot of people are drawn to that little thrill ride. I think when I saw the movie Jaws back in the 70s, you know, it, it, it was just, I mean, there was fear all over the place. Yeah. You know, it was scary. It's a great movie. It was a great movie, but you know, I didn't have nightmares, <laughs> uh, after that movie, no, you know, for the next ten years. <laughs> wow, that's a no. that's a long time. No, no, no. But I mean, it's you know, sometimes it's it's fun to see a suspense filled movie. Yeah, that isn't uh, you know gory or or anything that's bloody or mutilating or anything. Right, like that. right. I mean, just something that draws in your imagination and then keeps you at the edge of your seat. I'm okay with a little a little of that. Oh yeah, I, I enjoy that like, too paranormal stuff. I don't like no. anything that has any connection whatsoever to anything uh, from the kingdom of darkness. I, I want nothing to do with yeah. that. Yeah. I, I think that's probably pretty wise. Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't go to haunted houses, for example, or not haunted houses, but, you know, like haunted hayrides sure. or, you know, these terror-filled things that are meant to yeah. excite people. And yeah. I, I think a lot of people go because they actually do enjoy, they enjoy the, the fear factor, you know, yeah. the getting scared part. Um, I'm not sure everybody who goes to those actually enjoys the gore and the and the you know gristle that they right. have to watch. Uh, but you know, if somebody comes running out of you out of the forest with a weapon, people get excited <laughs> about that. They get scared, and, and then they know they they're not going to get hurt, right? Because right. they know they can suspend their disbelief for a short amount of time. Of course, and that's where it's a it can be a really fine line for people between actual fear. Mm-hmm. Of a situation like that, and suspended fear or suspended disbelief, where yeah. you know, wink, wink, they know this isn't real, and I'm not going to get terrified by it. Right. But a good movie that's that's actually well done will make you feel like it really is happening near you, yeah, or to you. Yeah. Now, when we talk about fear, Andy, is is the fight or flight response is that in the equation as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. Well, there's actually three responses. There's fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. And so what our body will do is the amygdala is the first part of your brain that gets the sensory information. So yeah. um, let's say, yeah, like if you're, 
Well, and there's different contexts too, right? If you see, if you're in the, if you're in the North Woods of Minneapolis, Minnesota, not Minneapolis, <laughs> if you're in the North Woods of Minnesota and yeah. you're hiking and you, you know, you hear a noise and you know that there's bears in the area and 50 feet ahead of you on the trail, you see a bear walk across. Well, that's, that's when the fight, flight, or freeze instinct kicks in. Mm-hmm. And so your amygdala immediately sees the bear and makes a decision on what should I do? What should my response be? Mm-hmm. And if you've never thought a second about what a bear will do in the forest, you're probably going to flee. The bear will probably chase you. Mm-hmm. And the bear will probably make your acquaintance. Okay. Whereas if you've Not thought the best about it, choice. no, it's a terrible choice. Right. Actually, you can't outrun a bear, and you never should. Nor should you climb a tree. You should just no, I agree. stand still, and make yourself as big as possible. Yes, but but on the flip side, though, when we see a bear, you know, if you go to a zoo, you're they're cute and they're fuzzy and you know they're kind of big and lumpy and they're just not fearful, right? They're lumbering because it's, around, it's a totally different situation. Yeah. yeah, you're safe because yeah. there's a moat and some maybe some bars or some thick glass that protects you so you can you can watch that so it's kind of interesting to see the difference of how we interpret things and it happens in the snap of your fingers right the amygdala is very quick to make a rational judgment about what you're seeing in front of you and some people they really do they freeze right they'll they're stuck in a scary situation they'll just stop and some people run and some people will actually attack and and fight which you know you have to think about a little bit before you decide what you're going to do but in the immediacy of a moment like that, we don't really have a choice unless we've thought ahead about it or thought about it ahead of time and have somewhat of a plan. Mm-hmm. So as I look at so many wonderful verses in Scripture, Isaiah forty one yeah. ten is one I've memorized. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Yeah. Now, as we're talking about the psychology of fear, I think there are a couple of different categories we're going to discuss today, Andy. One being this uh, this side of the story, which is, you know, people like a thrill. They go down a roller coaster yeah. and scream because that, that's scary to them, right? Yeah. There's some fear. There's some adrenaline is pumping. Totally. Some people kind of like a suspenseful movie, which I suppose, you know, if it's if it's not you know, illustrating anything evil or unbiblical, right. I, go, I guess that's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to fill my head with that stuff, though. Yeah, and I think... That's perfectly rational and yeah. wise response. I mean, why why would we want to fill our brains? Because you can't unsee things. That's true. You you can't. Images are so powerful. They are. You can't unsee something. Yep. You can't. There's no reverse button, and our and our memories don't work that way. We don't have the kind of control that I think a lot of people would like mm-hmm. to have over our memories, because oftentimes bad things or scary things that happen to us, we remember them really well because yes, we they're do. tied to emotion. Yes. Emotional memories are more powerful than bland memories. Of course. And and they're more specific. Oh, yeah. Because they happen Absolutely. maybe once or twice or three times in your life, right? Yeah. Or very significant, scary things. Sure. You don't yeah. get into a major car accident four times a week. No. That's just not something that happens to people. Have so. you been in a major car accident? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I was. Did uh, the car get totaled? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I and was you- in second grade. Oh, wow. Happened on a Wednesday. You weren't driving, were you? No. Okay. No, thankfully not. You got your license in what, third grade? Yeah, roughly about yeah. there. Yeah. I was in school for a long time. <laughs> That's yeah. how I became a doctor. Yeah. So, <laughs> but the whole idea that we are, uh, we're, we remember those events so specifically because they don't happen that often. Right. I mean, I think of the time I was in a car accident and I my car was totaled and I got, mm-hmm. I got sideswiped and... 
I what's it called? T boned. Yeah. And that Oof. just comes out of nowhere and you don't see it. And right. Next thing you know, you're it's like the being in the movies. Yeah. And you And you about, don't have time to be afraid though. But you don't. I mean there's no there's no time. You weren't scared. I was scared afterwards. Yes. When I realized what had happened and what I was in the middle of, yeah. that's when the fear kicked in. That's that's the scary part. Yeah, fear is an interesting thing. I mean it it's a good thing. Fear is actually a good emotion to have. Because fear is your physiological response and your actually your logical response to things that you should be wary of or things that you should be concerned about. You know, like that like that bear in the woods. You should be afraid of the bear. Yeah. Especially if it's big and hungry mm-hmm. and maybe they're in always a hungry. bad mood. Yeah, they're, they're always, always hungry. Yeah, they're always don't, hungry. Don't you know, there's no such thing as a bear that's not hungry. Right. Or you should you know, you should be afraid of for example, if you're if you're walking on the street and somebody approaches you with a weapon and says, "Give me your money," yeah. you should feel a sense of fear, complete fear, because it's it's an unknown. Yeah, you don't know what you're dealing with, and that's that's actually a rational, normal response. We're we're supposed to feel that. Yeah, um, and you know, there's the fear of respect. You know, like I'm not I'm not afraid of certain things, but I respect their power. Mm-hmm. You know, like you shouldn't be afraid of a you know, a gigantic engine that's, you know, in a car or something like that, or maybe you are in possession of some powerful machinery. You don't have to be afraid of it, but you should be wary of it mm-hmm. and have some sense of fear of what it could do if you mishandle it, mm-hmm. you know, like a chainsaw, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, should I walk into a shed and look at a chainsaw and say, oh, I could cut my leg off with that? Well, no, of course not. That's not a rational response. That might be fear-based, but that's not that's not rational. So. Mm-hmm. Fear is an interesting thing in that way because it can become very irrational very quickly, and that can cause us long-term trouble. Mm-hmm. Psalm 34.4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. We're talking to Dr. Andy Scuddinga. We're talking about the psychology of fear. We're, we're in, in one category of that fear department. We're going to shift when we come back to a couple of other categories. But if you have a question or comment, let me know, 877-933-2484. Somebody just said, hello, I'm with you, Bill. Horror movies put garbage in your mind. I'm, um, yeah, so that's a great comment. Thank you very <laughs> much, Sylvia. All right, we'll be right back. You? Well, you're loved. I get it. It might not always feel like that, but the truth is God knows you and where you are at all times. He actually loves you so much, he calls you his. If you would like to discover, maybe even rediscover that relationship with him, consider attending the Set Apart Conference for Women on March 8th and 9th. Go to setapartconference.com and register today. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I'm talking to Dr. Andy Scuddinger today. We're talking about the psychology of fear. We started off talking about some of the more more obvious uh, ways to encounter fear, which are things like scary movies and that kinds of things. and Bears. Bears and... Um, being encountered with uh, someone maybe on a sidewalk or in a back alley. And, yeah. Um, that, those are all very normal reactions you would have. And totally. God wired us that way to have that kind of fight or flight or freeze 
ability. So yeah. anyway, let's talk about some of the other fears that we we have, which could be, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay rent this month. I don't know yeah. if I'm going to be able to feed my kids tomorrow. I don't know if my diagnosis is going to be healed. Oh, yeah. These are the big, big fears I think a lot of people have. Yeah, absolutely. And those can obviously turn into long-term anxiety issues, which make it hard to, you know, be happy and function every day when you've got things like that hanging over your head. And again, that is, it's a fair and rational response to negative stimulus in our environment. And a negative stimulus is realizing that you don't have maybe enough money in your bank account. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is a stimulus, right? I mean, every word you read, every voice you hear or sound you listen to, that's all stimuli and stimulus. Um, And those are things that I I don't think anyone should point to that and say, oh, you don't need to worry about that. Here's a Bible verse that says, cast all your fears upon the Lord. It'll go away. I don't, it doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. It helps mitigate the fear, but it's still going to be there until we alleviate the situation, you know, until you have the money to pay for your bills, until Mm -hmm. you have the wherewithal to get the groceries that you need to feed your kids. But the verse will give you the confidence and strength. Yeah. To endure whatever you have to go through. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's there's tons of verses in the Bible about this, right? There's verses about anxiety that specifically use the word anxiety and anxious and do not be anxious, do not be afraid, do not be fearful. There's there's lots of guidance in the Bible about this. I don't think I don't interpret those verses to say you should never be afraid of anything. Mm-hmm. Because then we probably wouldn't have fear as a rational response to most things. Right. Um, I, again, I think fear can be a very healthy motivator. If I'm afraid that I don't have enough money, I might become motivated to go get a second job if I need to. Or do that. set your alarm and make sure you get up and get to work on time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because not all not all fears and, and things we're afraid of are caused by external factors. Some yeah. of them we cause for ourselves and some of them are caused by other people. And sometimes it's stuff out of our control. Mm-hmm. It's just putting fear in perspective. I love what Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. And if you have fear, you're looking for peace. You're looking for the removal of the fear. And to me, if fear is removed, you've got some peace. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Yeah. This doesn't come off the shelf in the store. (laughs) No. That's not store-bought peace. That's peace that comes right from Jesus himself. And he says, I don't give it as the world does. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I want to just speak that truth today, just to say, God is going to give you peace. Absolutely. Yep, and you will not be afraid. Yeah, it's it's a real gift that you you said it perfectly. You can't buy it. You can't get it off the shelf at a store. Nope. And... You can't take a pill that makes everything feel better. You nope. can't, there's not medicine that makes all the anxiety go away. And some medicine can help with that, but in the end, you still have the base cause of your anxiety and your fear, which you, you, we all have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you can't escape those things through any other means other than dealing with them and God's peace. That's, those are the two things that are going to bring you to resolution in the end. Mm-hmm. A comment came in from uh, a member of the faith family here. Irrational fear seems to be something to be aware of because that's what the media uses. Oh, y- yeah, absolutely. They specialize in irrational fear. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of people who struggle with irrational fear. They're afraid. They, they see things in the news and they worry that it's going to happen to them even though it's incredibly, incredibly unlikely. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of research that shows that people will pay a premium for insurance for things that 
statistically will almost impossibly happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we we will pay for you know we'll pay for tornado insurance in an area that hasn't seen a tornado in thirty years or forty years, thinking well it could happen. You know mm-hmm. we worry we fear flying in airplanes, even though you're far safer in an airplane than a car. That's for sure. People will drive. People are afraid of sharks, even though you're more likely to get struck by lightning multiple times than you are to get bit by a shark. Right. So there's there's a there's a lot of irrational fear out there, and some of it's purposely pushed at people, and mm-hmm. some of it's just well, I mean, it's sensational to cover a plane crash because it's a terrible tragedy, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing, but it rarely happens. Mm-hmm. Like you think of the millions of flights every year, and how many planes actually crash each year and kill mm-hmm. people? Very, very few. But mm-hmm. yet, many people are afraid of flying, or they're afraid of dogs. Or they're afraid of all kinds of things yeah. that are really irrational to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. And when we take these fears and these irrationalities, if we want to call them, right to the Lord, uh, Jesus says, I'll give you peace. And I can, um, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your yeah. request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpa- surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because Fear is living in your mind. Absolutely, it is. That's where it takes up residence. It does. I mean, you have a you have a physiological response to fear situations, but then you, you do have a choice as to what you're going to do with it afterwards. And some people do have uncontrollable fears, and there's there's ways to treat that. There's, I mean, we can talk about that at some point. There's there are ways to treat fear. You know, there's ways to treat phobias, and there's ways to treat you know people who are afraid of you know going to the dentist or afraid of flying or afraid mm-hmm. of snakes or birds or or feathers. I mean, whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever it is, we can essentially train that out of you yeah. using various different techniques. What about if your den- your dental office is on a plane and you're flying and getting your teeth worked out at the same time? That's called flooding. Okay, that's that's an actual technique, for real. It, just to pile it all on at once. Yes, absolutely. And it's called flooding, and that yeah. helps you kind of what flush yourself of all your fears. Yeah. Well, yes, because okay, so here's how it works. If you're let's pick something common. Let's say you're afraid of spiders, which I'm not. Okay, good. So this will work for you. If you if now if you're a listener and you're afraid of spiders, hang on, okay? Cuz okay. we're going to do spiders. So flooding is when literally you would put somebody in a room in a, or a small enclosed space with a bunch of spiders. Oh, that's not going to work for people that are afraid of spiders, but it will because no, here's what happens. On. Your body will physiologically respond in a, in probably a, even a violent way. <laughs> you might start stomping yeah. on spiders. You might, you know, try yeah. to smash your way out. But here's the thing. Your your body, your sympathetic nervous system will be firing in all cylinders, okay. right? Your pupils will dilate. You'll stop digesting food. Yeah. Your pancreas stops producing stuff. I mean, right. there's all kinds of things that happen. <laughs> but you can only do that for so long. And your parasympathetic system, which is like the parachute, you yeah. start floating down to normal. Okay. And what happens is when you've been flooded with all these spiders, you realize nothing happened to me. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And now, should you do this uh, with a therapist, right? Don't just like go home and dump a bucket of spiders <laughs> in your head and say like, I'm going to fix myself. No, don't do yeah. that. But, um, you know, there's also systematic desensitization, which does the same thing. That's true. You start with something very small. Yep. Like I would say the word spider and the client might say, ah, don't say that. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how do you feel right now? Well, I'm I'm terrified and I'm nervous and my hands are sweaty. Okay, well, 
Let's give it a minute. How do you feel now? Well, I don't, I don't feel so bad. Why? Because there's no spider here. I just mm-hmm. said the word. And so you slowly build up a tolerance, and eventually you can probably hold a big tarantula in your hand mm-hmm. and not be afraid anymore. This, mm-hmm. this actually works. It I works know, that does well. work. Yeah, the, the, desen- the desensitization method, right? Yes. Yeah. It takes time and effort. And patience. And a lot of patience. And you just can't do it uh, without some good guidance. Yeah, you know, again, this is not yeah. DIY. You don't want to like, you know, <laughs> yeah. go to reptile gardens and run around unfettered in there and, and see all the spiders and snakes at the same time. Mm-hmm. But you could. You know, and that's those are for your, you know, like phobias and things like that. But, you know, going back to the original segment point, what do you what do you do about somebody who is constantly fearful of losing their house or or, you know, or not having enough to eat? Those, that's a different thing. That's not systematic desensitization. No. That's that's an actual problem that needs to be solved. Yeah. And that's not irrational. That's life. Or you fear losing your job. Sure. Job yeah. you've had for a while, and you think, well, maybe new management is moving me out. And then yeah. you go, oh, then what? How well, is this going to work? Then then it's a matter of going back to, to logical thinking. You know, how likely is it that I'm going to get laid off from this job? Yeah, there's new management. And they could bring in new people. Well, are you a senior level person? Mm-hmm. Well, no, not really. I don't actually work with those people directly, but they might fire me anyway. Okay, are you being logical? Is this is this a response that is thoughtful? And if it's not, then you have to decide how I'm going to decide to feel about it. Mm-hmm. And so there's some there's some choice making involved in in fears like that, and. It's also a matter of looking and examining what the fear is and what it comes from. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid of losing your job or are you more afraid of the stigma that comes with being laid off from a company? Or the security of not having a paycheck. Sure. All of those all kinds of fears. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Or, yeah, what's, what are you more afraid of? A few months without a paycheck or, the, or embarrassment? I Maybe think a both. lot of people would be more afraid of the embarrassment because mm-hmm. they feel like, well, I could probably find a new job. I have a job that but depend- I can find other places. Yeah. It all depends on your, your age and stage of life, though, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And this is why fear is kind of complicated because it's so contextual. Where are you at in life? What are you truly afraid of in this situation? Is this a fear that's, again, is this a fear that's worth having? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Do you, can you do some research or can you talk to somebody who might have some control over what you're afraid of? You know, if you're worried about losing your job, do you talk to your manager and say, "Hey, what, what's what's going to happen? I'm I'm concerned." Mm-hmm. And they might say, "Oh, you don't need to worry about anything. Nothing like that is going to happen." Or they might be honest with you and say, "Well, your job is on the line. Mm-hmm. At least you know. Then you have something that you should deal with. You've got data. You've got data. Yeah. Right. You've got something that you can deal with yeah. that's tangible." And that's a really good way to help deal with things that you're afraid of. There's a great comment from Diane. I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments in every presentation that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yes. Every that's a thought. Great, that's a great verse. Thank you, Diane. Taking captive your thoughts yeah. is a hugely important thing that we are all generally capable of doing. And it can be applied to all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Thoughts of take captive your thoughts of being arrogant or thinking you're super special mm-hmm. or thinking you're not worthy. Mm-hmm. Right? It can go both ways. So there's there's all kinds of negative thoughts that we are prey to mm-hmm. um, that we can control by taking them captive and saying, I'm not going to think that way. 
And that's how you do it. You kind of grab it by the throat and say, no, you don't have control over me. I know I'm afraid of this, but I'm not going to be anymore. You know, that, that's, a, that's also another healthy way of engaging your fear mm-hmm. is, is directing thoughts at it and saying, no, you know what? I see this coming. I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to be afraid of you. Thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to be afraid of this concept or this potential thing. Not going to do it. I like that. Yeah. yeah. It works pretty well. Dr. Annie Scudinga is my guest. We're talking about the psychology of fear. If you have a comment or question, please send it over. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We're talking today to Dr. Andy Scudinga on the psychology of fear. And we all have fears, and we all deal with them differently. Some great comments are coming in from the Faith family. Gene said, I have found that examining my self-talk is important. Yeah. Often what I'm telling myself is not rational. Yeah. Good Whoa. Work. That is outstanding. It is really good. As a man thinketh in that. his heart, so is he. So yeah. what we thinketh in our heart is pretty important. Yeah. I think, therefore, I am, which well, was totally a secular person who wrote that, but it's still true. It's true. Yeah. So when we examine our self-talk, how do we deal with making sure we're not getting irrational? By being honest with ourselves okay. and maybe forgiving of ourselves, too. What if you're tough on yourself? You know, yeah. what if you're really hard on yourself and you say, All right, I really messed that up. I guess I'm just, I, I fail a lot. I'm a flawed person. And then you get into a little bit of a pity party, and that's your self-talk. Then what? Yeah. Well, the the first part, I'm not sure that's always incorrect or even wrong, because sometimes we do do dumb things, or we make big mistakes, or we say foolish things sure. or cruel things to somebody else. And I think it's okay to sometimes say, well, I really messed that up. I was not being a good person. Now, you notice what I said there? I didn't say I'm not a good person. I said I was not being a good person. Okay. And so it's important for us to differentiate making ourselves the mistake or making a mistake. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's easy for someone to say, I'm a bad person. No, you did a bad thing. I did a bad thing is different than I am a bad person. You know, on one level, of course, we're all sinful. So we are all bad people. Um, But if that's the kind of self-talk that we're engaging in, I am the mistake rather than I made a mistake. That can have a really serious impact on us long term. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a particularly healthy way to think about yourself. Mm-hmm. Andy, what's the difference between a normal fear response? Because we all have them. Sure. And then when the normal fear response gets maybe twisted and it starts heading towards a phobia. what What is the difference there? Yeah, phobias make people act, again, in irrational ways. Okay. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I show a clip in my in my general psychology class about fear and f- about phobias, and it's actually more about systematic desensitization and learning. But uh, there was a woman in the video 
who was terrified of spiders. So in her small apartment, she, when she went in, she had a spider brush that she kept everywhere with her. She would wipe down every door frame before walking in. She would wave it around like a magic wand. She would wear a kerchief on her head mm-hmm. or a hat. She would wear a face mask. She sounds perfectly rational to me. Right. <laughs> she wore gloves with duct tape on them. Okay. She would duct tape her doors and windows Okay. for all the cracks so spiders little, couldn't get in. A little phobic, maybe? Totally phobic. Okay. Right? She God bless her, but go that's out. a little phobic. Yeah, she couldn't walk into the grass outside of her apartment building because okay. she was terrified. That's that's phobia. When you are engaging regularly in irrational, fear-based behaviors, mm-hmm. that's a phobia. Okay. Now, if we are living in a time where we feel there is more need for our sur- survival mechanism to be active, isn't that connected to fear? Yes. I think I understand that. Say more then. I mean, right now there there seems like there's all this pressure in the world that um, finances and the different things are going on in the culture and all of these fear-based things that create a sense of stress and anxiety, but also how do I survive in all this? How do I survive yeah. in the midst of all of this? Yeah, that can, that can definitely lead to feelings of, of fear. Yeah, I don't think that's a. You're probably not going to get any kind of a phobia level fear out of that, but if and here's where these Bible verses come in handy. It's it's clearly telling us we shouldn't live like that because we're we're being afraid of something that God provides for us not being there. We're afraid of if we're afraid of not surviving. That's different. Um, But if we're afraid of losing all of our money, um, or afraid of losing all of our friends, or afraid of you know, getting a, a severe illness and you live in constant fear of that, that becomes an anxiety issue. And then, mm-hmm. then that can roll into, that can become an anxiety disorder after a while. When, you're, when your world is overcome by fears and anxieties, worries that are things that you, you really don't need to be worrying about, that's, that's where we get into kind of long-term problems mm-hmm. and, and issues with, with fear and anxiety. Okay, so our brains are going to, are going to determine a threat yes. and our, our sympathetic nervous system is going to kick in to give us the appropriate chemicals to deal right. with it. Right. that's the way God made us. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. So there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing no. bad about that. No, not at all. It's when you allow those fears to overtake you and to interfere with your ability to enjoy life. Yes, that's when you run into. That's when you having an. That's when you have an anxiety issue. Okay. So a few weeks ago, I meet with Gary and Brennan for financial advice. We've been working with them for years in South Dakota. Who are probably listening right now? By the way, hello, Gary and Brennan. If we meet with them, and I'm overcome with the fear that they're going to lose all of our money for retirement, <laughs> and I can't uh, shake it, and mm-hmm. it's just overpowering. Yeah. That's not a normal response to that situation. Now, if Gary had said to me, hey, bad news, we're probably going to lose all your money in the next couple of months. Okay, now I maybe have something because he's an expert and he's telling me to be concerned about this. It's like when people watch the news and they hear an expert say something and they extrapolate that to mean something for themselves. Something that's happening 8,000 miles away in a different country, in a different hemisphere, in a different time zone. And they say, that could happen to me. I should be really concerned about this. That's not a healthy response to something that might still be kind of fearful, but that's it's not going to happen to you or it's not going to happen to us. 
that's when you're starting to look at, do I have some disordered thinking about these types of things? Mm-hmm. Is and this our, a rational fear? Okay. And Andy, our goal is not to be fearless because we're not Navy SEALs, right? Exactly. Uh, but well. we need to uh, try to be more just courageous. Yes. And ask God to help us be bold and courageous because he did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of right. power, love, and self-discipline. Absolutely. And even a Navy SEAL will tell you, if you're fearless, I don't want to work with you. Okay. Because if you're someone who doesn't experience any fear, you're you're probably a lunatic. Why would I want to go and fight in a war with somebody who's you're gonna, fearless? You're going to take risks that might they're be gonna, dangerous. Exactly. Okay. They're going to take risks. And there's a lot of people in this world. Remember those old stickers on cars and shirts? No fear. Oh, yeah. That was, that, that was a ludicrous movement because <laughs> there are things we should be afraid of. Yeah. And we can't just live our lives fearlessly in terms of being irresponsible with how we use our bodies mm-hmm. and how we use our minds and the things that we say. You know, just think about if you went through life and said, I don't care what anybody thinks. I will always say what I want. I will always do what I want. That's going to be a very difficult person to be around. Mm-hmm. Because they will act selfishly or they will take risks that could put you in harm's way. That's not people you want to be partnered with necessarily, yeah. depending, especially if you're you know, a Navy SEAL or somebody who is relying on a teammate. Mm-hmm. Andy, I don't know about that no fear campaign and what that was geared for, but I think there was a, a certain quality that was saying, um, I'm going to take my brush with death because I'm going to take this skateboard and go over the Grand Canyon and I'll be fine. (laughs) You know, there was that no fear. And I think there was a certain disregard for for life almost because kids were taking risks that were just silly. Absolutely. Under the umbrella that there's no fear. And to me, that was quite stupid. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a very interesting line. You know, you think of like parents or caregivers who are watching over children. Young children, they don't understand risk as well. You know, when they're four or five years old, they're, they see something on TV and they want to imitate it, right? They want to jump off a couch and, or jump off a dresser or maybe jump off of the playground equipment because mm-hmm. they've seen a superhero movie and they see that, well, the Guardians of the Galaxy can do flying things. So I could do that too, right? Yep. Well, a 14-year-old knows that's make-believe. A four or five-year-old maybe doesn't. They don't have that sense of fear yet. Mm-hmm. Well, they will when they land because they'll <laughs> yeah. learn a lesson, yeah. right? And so there's conceptual things and, and lessons that we have to learn. And, you know, some of that's just developmental, what we learn, what we should and shouldn't be afraid of. I don't want to raise kids that are afraid of everything because then you, then you raise adults who don't know how to handle fear when it mm-hmm. happens to them. But at the same time, you don't want... You don't want the opposite. You don't want people to be fearless. Right. You don't want to be too fearful. So there's there's a balance in the middle that not everybody can find easily. Yeah. Great, great comment from a Faith Family text that says, what does it look like to cultivate a healthy fear of the Lord? An interesting verse. It is a dreadful yeah. thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.31. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's... I've always found that to be a really interesting concept, the fear of the Lord. The complete reverence and awe and right. wonder and holiness. Yeah. And... He's God and we're not. Exactly. That to me is pretty easy. Yeah, Yeah. and it is. I've never felt a sense of fear of God in terms of I'm scared of God, like I'm scared. It's that fearful respect of I know God has the ultimate power and authority over Mm -hmm. me and he could wink me out if he wanted to. Of course. For no reason. Yeah. And there's a tinge of fear. You know, it's kind of like when C.S. Lewis wrote about Aslan. He's not... He's dangerous. Yeah. 
right? I yep. mean, there's I don't remember the text because this just came to my mind, but there's a there's a passage in one of the Narnia books about Aslan. Is he safe? No, he's no, not safe. No. Not even remotely close. No. You don't want to make him upset with you. Right. <laughs> and I think that's a such a great way of, of explaining who God is. Yeah. Annan from the Faith Family said, I asked Jesus to take my negative thoughts captive because he is way more powerful than I than I am. That's fantastic. That is awesome. Yep. All right, we're going to take a break. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. We're talking about the psychology of fear. And if you have a question or comment, send it over. 877-933-2484. Receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic. Sign up for this first of the day email at myfaithradio.com. Dr. Andy Scudinga is my guest. We're talking about the psychology of fear today, and I really have appreciated some of the comments that have come in from faith family folks, so thank you so much for that. Um, how about this, Andy? Any tips for dealing with uh, what-if thinking or, mm, yeah. all or, or, or all or nothing thinking? Yeah, that can be, that can be, hard. That can be hard to deal with, um, and that's kind of one of the hallmarks of anxiety is what if thinking and letting that get out of control where you're constantly thinking, well, what if, what if this happens? But then what if, what if that happens after that? And I think the best, probably the best way to handle what if thinking is to try to stop it as soon as it begins. As soon as you recognize I'm going down the path of what if, Mm -hmm. just tell your mind, just say, okay, uh, stop, stop thinking that. Mm -hmm. Um, and and work on thinking of something different, either change your your what you're thinking about, or you could also kind of attack that problem by saying, "Well, what if it does happen?" Mm-hmm. And then going coming up with a plan in case that does happen. You know, sometimes it's not a terrible idea to say "what if" and think, "I actually don't know what I would do if that happened." Mm-hmm. Maybe I should come up with a plan. Yeah. What if I what if I lose my job and run out of money? Well, what if you do? Think about a reason, have a reasonable plan. Mm-hmm. So you can answer that question and say, yeah, well, I thought of the what if and I have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, you could do that too. That's a good way to engage with your thinking and, and kind of shift the tone of what you're actually thinking about. Yeah. All right. Here's a question. Andy, could you further clarify our instinctual safety-based fear response against other things like anxiety we just call fear? The gift of fear was very helpful in clarifying this for me. So I think the question mm, is: to read that to we, me again. We've got we've got our instinctual safety based fear response. Sure. All right. Can you clarify the difference between that and other things like anxiety? We just call fear. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. Anxiety and fear are often tied together as the same sort of thing. And I would I would offer that fear is a short term situation anxiety is a long-term situation okay. so that's that's really the clinical difference between fear and anxiety fear is ah and, and oh, you're done with it maybe. that was scary yeah wow i'm so glad that car didn't hit me right <sighs> okay okay i'm okay yep. i'm gonna keep driving i go to work and i don't think about it again until i go home and say guys you know what happened to me this guy almost t-boned me in the intersection yeah. but i yeah. made it right 
anxiety is when you get in your car the next morning and you think, I hope I don't have that happen again. And you get to the the intersection and you look three times extra because you're so afraid someone's going to hit you. Well, And you go to the next intersection and you're worried somebody's going to hit you there. And for the next three, four days, you're constantly thinking about that accident that almost but didn't Isn't that normal? happen. Isn't that normal? Nah, maybe for some people it's okay. normal, but right. I would recommend you don't do that. Okay. Because that's how you can become anxious about something. Okay. Nothing happened. That's true. So why worry about it? It's it's not yeah. probably going to happen again. Mm-hmm. Could it? Yes. But is it worth spending time thinking about it over and over again? Yeah. That's not the... I don't think that's the best response to that. I've got this little theory, Andy. Tell me what you think about it, which I call my perception zone versus my reality zone. Ooh. Now, my perception zone is... Uh, you have to get a root canal or something, mm-hmm. and you spend three weeks in advance of the appointment fretting about it, worrying about it. That's the perception zone. Yeah. It's going to be terrible. I'm going to bah, you know. Yeah. Then you go and do it, and the dentist says, all right, all done. And you're going, that's it? <laughs> now, the reality zone was nothing. Right. But the perception zone was three weeks of little stories telling yourself yes. that it's going to be terrible. Anticipation. So how do we shorten the perception zone? down so it doesn't extend too far away from the reality zone. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I really like that. Oh, thanks. That's a cool theory. I came up with that a long time ago. I, it's That's really intuitive. I like that I one a lot. I just need to spend less time in the perception zone. We do. Yeah. Um, and it, it can go both ways. You can be thinking of something really positive that's coming up. Like, I can't wait for this concert that I've been oh, wanting to see. <laughs> and here it's coming in three weeks. Yeah. It's going to be so great. And then you go and it's like, wow, that was a disappointment. Uh, uh, no, no kidding. It can be vacations. You yes. know, this is going to be the best vacation ever. Yes. Right? Yeah. That It can work both ways. So yeah. an- anticipation is actually a pretty pleasurable activity for most people. It is. You know, thinking of things. And honestly, I think when we're anticipating something negative, we can probably get a little bit of juice out of that too. You know, mm-hmm. I might feel some sense of fear and then you're like, oh, I'm going to be okay. But I... You know, three weeks ahead of time of a root canal, it's probably not a great plan or very helpful to con- to start worrying about it. And if you find yourself doing that, then it's – you can – here's where a positive self-talk can come in and mm-hmm. say, hey, I don't need to worry about this right now. We'll just see how it goes. Yeah. Let's just see how it goes. Or there's nothing I can do about it in the meantime. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything to prepare for a root canal. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever it is that's coming up. Sure. Maybe you have to do public speaking if you don't like that. You know, thinking about it every day and worrying about it, it's See, just not a helpful way of coping. Yeah, just spend time preparing for it. Prepare for it. Yeah, and pray pray about it. Yes. Okay. Oh, prayer for sure. All right, Andy, with fear, does this is a question from a, a faith family member. Yeah. With fear, does having some self-compassion for the part of you that is trying to protect you help calm it down Versus being afraid of how your body is reacting and not accepting it. Yes. How do you deal with health anxiety, for example? Should you uh, thank that part of you that's that's trying to protect you with self-compassion, pray scripture and give it all to God and trust he will handle it? Yeah, listener, I think you nailed it. Okay. I really do. Yeah, it's be be compassionate to yourself, of course. If you have a major surgery coming up, it's, it is okay to worry about that. I, 
I hope I don't want anybody to get the impression you should never worry about anything. I I think you should. Well, to some degree. Yeah. Right? Have concern. Be yeah. prayerful. But the worry word is something I think we all got to work on. Yeah. And the part of you that is wants to be forgiving and understanding. That's 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 great. I think that's a really healthy response to say. Oh, I'm really, I am really worried about this, but that's okay. I'm not a terrible person, and yeah. I, it's okay to be having some fears and have some worry. Yeah. We just don't want to let it get out of control. What's something you worried about longer than you should have? Not to put you on the oh, spot, I'm, look at me. I just put you on the spot. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm probably a terrible example for this segment because I'm not— I'm not much of a warrior. Okay. I'm more on the flip side. You really of, are. I've gotten to know you enough to know that you are really speaking the truth right now. I, I, yeah. You kind of roll with the punches. Yeah, which can be, pro- honestly, it can that can be problematic too. Okay. Because sometimes you might need to get something done, and I don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Half the listeners are like, oh, man, that is yeah. totally me. Andy, what are we talking about today? I don't know. Don't worry about it. I don't it. know. Don't worry about yeah. it. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that, that, can be a, that can be a really beautiful thing to have yeah. um, sometimes because when, when things go crazy, I'm usually okay with that. And I'm, I can be pretty calm and, and not get too worried about it, and that can be really a steadying influence for people yeah. around me. At the same time, I have forgotten things to do because I didn't worry about it enough or I've done a poor job on something because I didn't have enough worry about, well, what would this look like if I didn't do it well? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't and it made me or somebody else look really bad. Yeah. So it, that knife can cut both ways, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm not, I can't think of the last thing I was like really anxious okay. about. That That's an honest response. Thank you for that. Dr. Andy Scudinga has been my guest. We've talked today about the psychology of fear if you missed any of it, you can head over to the podcast and check it out from the beginning. I want to leave you tonight with Matthew 6, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. (laughs) Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.